0: drinking?
1: I'm having a nice cup of Iranian tea.
0: I don't like tea.
1: But this one will provide you a little bit of nostalgia. It's family owned and operated in Indiana.
0: Well, let me try some of that. Oh, that's pretty good. Where'd you get it from?
1: I went to iraniantea.com, and in a few clicks, it was at our front door.
0: Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show. Today I am joined by Gary Cox, a Noblesville High School Athletic Hall of Fame member, an Indiana All-Star alternate, and a Butler University Bulldog great. Gary, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend a little bit of time with us in Keeping Nostalgia Alive.
1: Thanks, Billy. It's good to be with you.
0: Gary, will you tell us a little bit about where, how you got to Indiana and Noblesville, where you're originally from?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, I was born in Pennington Gap, Virginia, which is in the Cumberland Gap, 50 miles from um, the Cumberland Gap, 50 miles from Bristol, Tennessee, and 50 miles from Johnson City, Tennessee. My dad was a coal miner, worked in the coal mines in Big Stone Gap, uh, Virginia, Uh, worked in the coal mines over 25 years, uh, had a third grade education. My mom didn't graduate from high school, but that was the norm for then. We didn't have an indoor toilet, uh, we had a pump uh, for water in the kitchen, and we had uh, a coal stove and a pot belly in the living room that heated the house in the winter, and a and a, a cellar, what we call a root cellar, where we kept our um, apples and beets and potatoes, and then we had a dairy where we uh, we milked the cows and put the the, the milk in a dairy, which is a hole in the ground to keep it cool. Uh, my mom churned the the milk to make butter. We picked eggs. We uh, raised uh, some whatever we ate. We raised it on a farm, and um, uh, we had a little farm, you know, to raise uh, vegetables and stuff. Then my dad got hurt in a car in a um, in a car coupling, what they call a car coupling accident in a coal mine, and cut his finger off, and then they killed him, and. Uh, so he went to Indiana and got a job at General Motors at Guide Lamp and Anderson, and uh, lived there for about six months before he bought a house and moved us up there in 1953. And I uh, was eight years old, and we moved to uh, Noblesville, Indiana.
0: What was the? Uh, when did you? When did you first? Did any brothers or sisters? And also, uh, when was your first uh, uh, introduction to the game of basketball? Uh,
1: I have an older sister. She's six years older than me. And uh, she's married, lives in Florida, has uh, two children. And uh, I was in the fourth grade, and uh, someone was telling me about basketball. We had a small hoop at First Ward that was eight feet tall, and we'd go out there and shoot some hoops on that. And uh, Then the next year, I went to Second Ward, and uh, there was a black kid named Bronson Parrott, who was a little bit bigger than uh, most of us, a little taller wore real thick glasses, and he and I, there was a basketball court right next to the school. So I lived a block from the school, so Bronson and I, his name was Bronson Parrott, Bronson and I would go down and, you know, just shoot around. And he became my best buddy, and he was the best player by far from the fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, and as a freshman. And I was, it was like Batman and Robin. We painted the uh, our basketball uh, together, uh, you know, that we came out and shot uh, layups with. Like the Globetrotters, we, we, I remember we sat in my my mom's kitchen, our kitchen, and we painted this basketball with some kind of, maybe house paint, I don't remember what it was. But anyway, Bronson and I painted the ball, and we, he and I were, we were the best players. And uh, he was taller, he was better, and, uh, as a freshman, he played on the varsity, and I was on the B team. And uh, that was kind of the start of it.
0: So t- tell me what high school – I mean, uh, who, who was big in high school basketball at that time? And, and do you remember watching any other teams besides the Noblesville team before you got to Noblesville?
1: Well, no. I'd never seen a basketball game before. I, before I, I remember that Noblesville won. In 1957, they won the, the first – they won the sectional beat Windfall in overtime. And I remember every player, I was there, I went, went to the game by myself, and Noblesville won the sectional the first time in 27 years. And Jack Clark, Dave Porter, and all those guys on that team, Jack Clark became a mentor of mine. He graduated in 1957. That team lost to South Bend Central with the Coleman brothers, that uh, they went on and won the state championship, I believe, uh, in in the semi state. And those guys on that team were uh, Dave Porter, who went down and played at IU, was like I idolized him. And Jack Clark was a guy; he was like my mentor. He would come and pick me up, you know, before I had a driver's license, and we'd go play basketball with those a group of guys. We went everywhere. Then my dad would take me on the way. He would go to work at seven. Had to be at work at seven o'clock at uh, Guide Lamp over in Anderson. And he would drop me off at the high school at 5:30, and I'd play uh, shoot around and play and do drills until my first class. You know, I'd take a shower and then I have an eight o'clock class, so or an eight ten class. And so I every morning I was at the high school at 5:30 in the morning, 5:30 to six, something like that.
0: So when did so it was your sophomore year that you began and you started varsity all through your senior year. Yep, uh,
1: I was a sophomore and I was 6'4, 175. I grew, I was 5'11 and three quarters as a, a freshman. I grew almost five inches over the summer, uh, or four inches. And um, I started as our my sophomore year and I started every game uh, from then on. And uh, Stan Neal, who uh, played at Ball State, uh, I think he's in their Hall of Fame over there, Stan uh, went on to become. Um, a well-known high school coach in, in Georgia as well as Indiana. His son Noodle uh, is now the coach at New Mexico. And anyway, Stan was uh, the best player on the team when we were, when I was a sophomore. He was a senior. We won the sectional, lost uh, lost that uh, to uh, Ronnie Hughes and uh, Kokomo, and they went on and they did. They uh, anyway they beat us in the in the regional and then the next year we lost to Goose League uh, at Kokomo in the regional and then our senior year we beat Kokomo in the regional and went to the semi state and got beat in the afternoon game by Huntington
0: what was what were you feeling like when you know uh, with your background and coming from West Virginia uh, I mean what was your feeling like when you uh, you know you made those first couple starts for Noblesville and what was your mindset
1: well you know I, always, I didn't have very many friends my own age. Most of my friends were, and not that I didn't have friends, but the people I ran around with were the older guys because they were the ones that I, you know, that were, I was better in sports than most of the guys of my, my age. So I hung around. I remember uh, pickup games from Oscar Robinson, Bailey Robinson, Cleveland Harp, uh, um, those guys, some addicts would come up to 2nd Ward and play outdoor basketball. I mean, there was just great games. There would be 20, 30 people out there waiting to get in. So, you know, I was in 5th, 6th, 7th grade, 8th grade, and sometimes I needed one more and I could be able to get in. most times I'd ref the games or keep the score or something or other or get them water, just anything to hang around. And uh, that was just the thing. You got to, the only way you're going to get better is to get it, play against people that are better than you and learn something. you got to mentor with somebody. And so I was kind of how I – my exposure to it was – being around and older guys, and my experience was, uh, you know, I, I didn't fit in because you know I had a southern accent. I still do a little bit, and that's part of that's because I've lived in Dallas for about thirty years. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we were hillbillies. I mean, that's what we were, and I was kind of embarrassed by it. My parents, uh, you know, they weren't the typical of people that I my friends and teams guys on the team and Bronson and I were close and uh, that's kind of I guess what, what you know you, you, as a kid you get something the great equalizer was sports you know I played uh, all of sports played baseball basketball football uh, and track and I was good in all of them and, and I had a lot of good friends we had great teams I mean we never lost to so an in Indianapolis school uh, from junior high through high school in baseball in, in track We did lose to North Central in a regional track meet, but we only lost one dual track meet in four years in high school. We never lost in junior high or high school in basketball or through high school uh, to an Annapolis school. and We played Central, North Central, Lawrence Central, and Broad Ripple every year.
0: Do you feel like basketball was your best sport?
1: Mm, No, I was probably a better baseball player. I, I had an opportunity to sign as a senior. In high school, but I just, you know, being a pitcher, you you only play every third or fourth day, and I didn't, you know, and I was, you know, if you're usually a pitcher when you're younger is a is a better better athlete. I was a good hitter. I was a switch hitter. I could play virtually. I couldn't play shortstop, but I did play in or second. I played first or third or any of the outfield positions and pitch. But you know, once you get to, to college or the pros, you're going to. Um, play every third or fourth day, so I really didn't, and then basketball was a lot more fun.
0: Now, we all know that you became a uh, butler bulldog and a very good butler bulldog, but do you remember the first time that you got approached uh, about uh, uh, scholarship offers for basketball?
1: I sure do, yeah. I was at, I was a freshman in high school playing on the B team, junior varsity, and uh, Rex Goble, who was a senior, was a friend of mine. And Rex Goble was 6'4", 240, and he played football and basketball. And I was in his house. He lived about four blocks from me, and I happened to be in his house that uh, on a, on a Saturday afternoon. And there was a basketball game that night. So Rex was a senior, and I was a freshman. So there was a recruiter from Vanderbilt there to see him. And I was shooting hoops in his driveway, and Rex brought the guy out to meet me. And he said, I understand you're on the B team, and you're a pretty good player. I, you know, well, I don't know what to say. Well, I'm on the B team. So after that game that night, it was against Broad Ripple. <laughs> and I, I swear to God, I got 21 points. Because remember, my dad had a deal with me. He said, "Anytime time you score more than 10 points, I'm going to give you 50 cents a point. So I was rich. I, had, I scored 21 points, and I got 11 rebounds, and we beat Broad Ripple. And anyway, the the guy sent me a letter the next, you know, that next week or the weekend, anyway, I got a letter from Vanderbilt, and then I got on their, their list, and uh, they started uh, sending me letters. That, so that was my first. It was Vanderbilt. Uh,
0: who who else hounded you, What uh, and what other, what other school could you have possibly gone to that you didn't make the decision? Of course you made the decision to go to Butler, but what were the possibilities of another uniform that you would have worn during your college career?
1: Well, uh, Furman, Lefty Dressel was at Davidson. Uh, Norm Sloan was at North Carolina State. I mean, was at Florida State, and then he went to North Carolina State. Uh, I had offers from uh, I don't know about eighty some schools. Uh, IU was kind of where I wanted to go, but the biggest problem I had is nobody in my family had ever gone to college, and and everybody. I knew, had gone to Butler. My high school coach went to Butler. The mayor of Noblesville, Joe Butler, went to Butler. Uh, Congressman Dick Radebush, who later became the uh, uh, the head of the uh, uh, Veterans Administration, which is the, the National Hospital's name after him. Dick Radebush went to Noblesville. He was a, and all of them were Sigma Chi's. So I had an immense amount of pressure on me about staying close to home, and nobody. And see, that was the thing about IU and and, and Butler, is that look, you can go to IU, and I got great tradition, but you know the difference is Branch McCracken or Tony Hinkle, Tony Hinkle, and everybody regarded Tony Hinkle as just absolutely fabulous coach. Well, you know you don't know what you don't know, and so, you know, I, I Mr. Hinkle, uh, when I was a junior, he took me and Wes Unsold to the Indianapolis 500. Wes also went to University of Louisville uh, later on. He went to Seneca High School in Louisville. And so he was a junior in high school. I was a senior. And Mr. Hinkle and Bob Dietz took us to the Indianapolis 500. And I, it, well, part of the reason was that I, to, I said, I, uh, when I talked to Hinkle, so he came and saw me play a few times and he came up and talked to my parents and, and I, Everybody said, well, he's never, he never does that. He never goes sees see anybody. He didn't go see Oscar Robinson. He never went to anybody's home. He didn't, you know, they, they come to him. And, I, you know, I didn't i didn't know. I mean, that's just what people said, though, that he really wanted me. And I said, well, Coach, I'll tell you what. If you get me a big man, I'll come. If you promise me, you'll get a big man. And so that's why Wes Hudson was, hell, he was much bigger than me. He's only about six seven, and I'm like, this is a big guy? I mean, he was big, but he wasn't tall. And anyway, so it brought in a guy named. Anyway, that was the reason I I went to, Butler.
0: And when and and, and at what point did you make the decision to go to Butler? Was it before May the senior of, of season?
1: May of my senior year.
0: Right after they announced
1: the uh, the all star team.
0: Now on that all star team, uh, you were selected as an alternate. Did you practice with the all star team?
1: No, that was the biggest. I mean, that was the biggest rook job ever. I think that was the first year they didn't dress 12. So I got a letter, which came to the high school. And Corliss LeCount, the vice president, came down during class, government class, and handed me the letter, opened it up. And, oh, I made the All-Star. He was the All-Star. You can see the letterhead. Oh, man, this is great. Open it up. You're an All-Star. Although you won't practice, just in case somebody gets in. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And even to this day, there's no recognition. Like, if you look in the 63 All-Star team, they don't read. Kurt Kirtman did. Kurt Crittenden from South End Central and I were the alternates. And we're not mentioned. Nowhere. And that was the only year they never, they always had 12. And why they did it that year, I have no idea.
0: So were you nervous or uh, tell us about your experiences when you first got on campus at Buck?
1: Oh, I wasn't nervous. I was, uh, we'd, uh, I went went down and moved in. I played Sigma Chi before I, uh, I, you know, in May is when I decided to go there. I, I pledged Sigma Chi as a pledge, and Bobby Plunk was a Sigma Chi. Jeff Blue was a Sigma Chi. It was all you know, like we had most of the starting football. They were called the Animal House. All all these guys. I, I was there. Was thirty-one guys in the house bigger than me, and I was at that time when I was a freshman. I was six-four and a half, about uh, one hundred and ninety pounds, and there was thirty-one guys in the house bigger than me. So I went down early. And went over to the uh, field house, and we had pickup games. So there was uh, Tom Bowman, Jeff Blue, the guys that were had, had just graduated, were, were hanging around. Jeff had been drafted by the uh, – uh, no, I'm sorry, he was still in school. So we would have pickup games. And so with Jerry Williams, Muffin Williams, and so, I, you know, and I'd played against most of these guys before. And, uh, and pick up games in Indianapolis, at North Central, at Lawrence Central, you know in, in Dust Bowl. I mean we'd go I'd go everywhere to play. So I'd play against most of these guys, and I mean you know, I could hold my own or was better than them you know, or felt that I was. So it wasn't any big deal. And uh, the first day of practice was something else. This is something I guarantee you there isn't anybody except people that went to Butler know. The first day of Pop Headon was a freshman coach. There were 32 guys that were on some type of scholarship on our freshman team? 32? (laughs) Now, if you've ever been in the old girl's gym, there was like, I don't know how many, there was like three full court gyms, I think, three full court basketball courts, three or four. And I'm like, what in the world are these people doing? Well, what had happened is that's where Hinkle got his reputation, because there was people that would come there to, to, to take theory of basketball and go on and, and try and, and be on the freshman team and learn. So he allowed anybody that wanted to come out, he'd allow them to come out. And he never cut anybody. He just didn't dress you, like a certain number of people dress. So they would be there. They learned the Hinkle system. They all Then most of these guys went out and became coaches. Like my coach, Glenn Harper, he didn't quote-unquote play, like Marvin Wood. I don't know how much Marvin Wood played. I mean, he was a pretty good player, but Marvin Wood at Milam was Bobby Plump's coach. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys, like, look lighter. I think Arlen uh, went to uh, uh, Butler. And all these guys were a feeder system that, that yeah, you, uh, Coach, I got a kid here that you like, and, Co- and Hinkle would call everybody kid. Well, he says, I got a kid here. Hey, kid, come here. He either called you kid or by your hometown. Hey, Noblesville, come here. You jack. <laughs> you know, it was just that, that was just what he did. He called John Spadocia, who went to—I uh, think he went to Tech. He called him Spaghetti. <laughs> he wasn't big on names, but he got every kid. But anyway, that was that was how Hinkle got a lot of—you know—they learned that everybody knew the Hinkle system. I mean, UCLA, you—you you, you, when you play teams, they would call out a play: Butler or Hinkle. That's the fifth way. So you know, he was quite an innovator as far as. At that point, you know, running a, running a system that had many options from it.
0: What was the what was your freshman season like? Did you learn from your freshman season to be able to go into your sophomore year and play for Hinkle, or what was that like?
1: Awful. It We, did, we played uh, Indiana State twice. We played DePaul twice. We played Evansville twice. We played eight games because freshmen couldn't play, and. Uh, we had a pretty good freshman team, but we didn't have any big bad. Like Steve Sadler from uh, Martinsville was six He was a football player, and so we were all about six five except for uh, a Gene Milner, and he was about six foot six one. And he had led. He was from Rossville, and he led the state in scoring thirty some points a game uh, our senior year in high school. Uh, and there was a kid. Uh, uh, Anyway, I can't remember his name right now. I've Gone black on it. But uh, he went to uh, Laporte High School, and he ended up transferring to Valpo. I tried to talk him out. He, you know, Hinkle didn't have anything to do with it. Pop Hedden, who was a uh, didn't know much about basketball, was uh, just a teacher of the system. But you know, that was freshman year, which was kind of a wasted year. He was um, anyway. The guy transferred to Valpo, and became a little all American and uh, a an all American baseball player.
0: So. Yeah, after- after your freshman year, were you kind of excited to get? Oh, to-
1: yes. Yeah, yeah. I was excited. That was great. You know, now you got out on the big floor and you were, you know, you're playing with, uh, you know, Dave Sanders, Ron Weema, Mike Chapman went to the Central, Central, uh, and Larry Shade from uh, from uh, Seymour. That was our starting. Me and uh, Larry Shade and I started at Guards. Mike Chapman in the middle and uh, Ron Weema and Dave Sanders were the forwards. And, uh, uh, we weren't very big. Chaffee was about 6'7". D.C. Dave Sanders was uh, six three six four. I went 6'3", six three six four, and I was just under
0: 6'5". Gary, do you remember your uh, breakout game your sophomore year?
1: I don't know that I had a breakout game. I averaged like just under, I think, 11 points a game, three or four rebounds a game. Uh, I guess it was probably against Michigan where I had to guard Cassie Russell. Uh, you know, Cassie Russell was first team all American player of the year, University of Michigan. We ended up beating him, but, uh, he was huge. He was six, six, about two twenty-five, And, uh, he was obviously stronger than me. And, uh, so I employed my, you're going to have to make it from the outside. I want to give you all you can shoot. Cause I know you can make layoffs. And he was something like 5 of 17 or 5 of 18. I mean, he got like 16, 17 points. But most of them from outside. I told him from the get-go. I says, look, you're, I don't, you're, you're great, but I don't think you can throw in the ocean from the outside. You know, everybody talks to everybody. So I just backed off of him and let him shoot. And luckily, he wasn't making them.
0: What was travel like back then?
1: <laughs> well, travel for us was, uh, we... Uh, we traveled by uh, plane and we went to Utah and Utah state. And obviously we flew, I think Delta, uh, when we flew to like Northwestern or to Evansville or Western Kentucky, uh, or Ohio state, we would, we flew on a DC three. And when we went to Notre Dame, we took a bus, Indiana state, we took a bus and on the bus. When we took the, like we go to DePaul at Greencastle, so we take a bus. Hinkle uh, lived, uh, his wife had died years ago, or years before, and so he lived with his daughter just about a block and a half, two blocks from uh, the field house. So his daughter would make turkey and dirty sandwiches <laughs> for us to eat <laughs> on whole wheat and white. So you got one whole wheat, one one white bread with turkey um, and dirty dressing. And a Seven Up, because the Seven Up was because Coach was uh, dating—I uh, can't remember her first name—but Tom, and the bottling company for Seven Up in Indianapolis, Tom Joyce Bottling Company. Well, that was she was a, a, a widow, and uh, that was Mrs. Joyce, and she provided the Seven Up for us. So that's what we we traveled by bus, and on the way home, we got a Durkies and turkey and a Seven Up, a warm Seven Up
0: it's definitely not like the uh travel today is it
1: <laughs> not at all not at all so what kind it, of te- what,
0: what kind of, what kind of team did you guys have your sophomore year uh
1: we were i think we're thir- i think we broke even thirteen thirteen something like that
0: and and what was it like for uh tournament play back then i know what was it sixteen teams at that time
1: Six- sixteen teams yep and see we played uh You know, when I was a sophomore, we got, let me think, we lost to Ohio State by a point. Dave Shellhouse beat us at Purdue by 15. Uh, We beat Michigan. We lost to, the best team we played by far was Evansville with Jerry Sloan, Larry Humes. Now, most people don't remember this or know this, but there was what they call small college, and then... The, the big college, not Division One, but let's call it Division One, and small college. Well, Evansville was in the small college, and they were undefeated two years in a row and won the NCAA small college two years in a row. They were undefeated in my sophomore year, and that was Sloan's senior year. Now, Sloan was an All-American, and uh, he was first-team All-American the year before, and Larry Hughes was an All-American. And they beat us by six one time and eight another time. And uh, that was that was by far our best games. The two that we lost to Evansville, but Evansville was by far the best team in the country. Uh, they would have, uh, they would have given UCLA all they could have wanted. I, I think UC, or, uh Evansville would have beat them. They were they were unbelievable, man. If you if you cut across the middle on them, anywhere you went, they would take you out of your shoes. They were the most physical team I ever played. Uh, any other than outdoor, you know, pick-up games outside. I mean, you, you make a cut across the middle, and whether they're, they're off-forwards or off-the-center, center. somebody who's off the ball would just give you a forearm shiver. They'd take you right out of your path. I mean, it would just deck you. It was a bloodbath.
0: For as good as Humes and uh, Sloan were, uh, did you guard either one of them And uh, when you played them?
1: Yep, Sloan guarded me, and I guarded him.
0: Did you find that interesting, or was there, was there a lot of
1: talk, or how did that go? No, no, he didn't say anything. You know, it's funny, the first time I played against him was at Butler, and I had the first six points we got, and I didn't know who was guarding me, because it got, we got off the tip, off a turnover, and off a free throw or something or other. Anyway, it was on a fast break or a pull-up jumper. Anyway, I had six points. It was six zero, and I had Oliver six points before I even knew who guarded me. Well, the next time, they so they had the ball. They scored. We get the ball, so... Uh, Larry Shade throws it into me, and I start dribbling up the court. And there's Humes and Sloan on their side of the 10-second line, kind of in a cross position with their arms extended, and I'm like, what are they doing? They were picking us up beyond the 10-second line. So I get up to them, and I kick it over to, um, to, uh, to Larry, and it was like three-quarter pressure from them all game. They forced it up the side. They they denied every pass, uh, and I really learned a lot because I'd never been pressed like that. Mike Price had played at Tech or at Shortridge. He played at Illinois. He uh, when we played Illinois, he guarded me that way. And then Purdue, they went to a box and won. But I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen a box. You know, when we played Purdue and we beat Purdue like sixteen or seventeen, and a big we had a big fight with Purdue, and we beat beat them by sixteen or seventeen. Uh, at one point in the game, they went to a box and one and put Mount on me and i'd never I'd never seen a box in one I'd never been guarded that way and i didn't, I didn't so I took mount out with a ten second line and we just stood out there and talked and and we played a four on four underneath so finally, we called a timeout and coach said, "Well go underneath and we'll do a three two and you rotate and if he stays on you down there, just go ahead and post him up because Rick and I were about the same size I was just a little bit bigger, but I was a lot stronger than he was so i could post him up so that's what we did tell us a
0: little bit about the purdue um, uh, um, scuffle
1: well roger blaylock was guarding me right and from the tip roger blaylock was uh from chicago he was a member of the blackstone rangers he's six seven about 230 and from the get-go he hit me with an elbow right on the tip and he was taught, He was woofing to me, man. I'm going to kick your butt. And so, you know, just people do that. Some guys talk, some guys don't. So I was talking back to him. <laughs> and uh, uh, George King was their coach. And the guy that was the they had Big Ten refs, Red Mihalik, I think was his name. He was the head of the Big Ten officials. He was in the games, and we used to get Big Ten officials like when we played Toledo, or so we get Big Ten. And so we, uh, you know, at this point, we had I'd, I knew Red was. His name. So anyway, I told Red, I said, Red, you better get him off of me, and uh, or I'm going to get him off, and uh, take it easy, just play, all right. So at another point, I run by uh, the Purdue bench and told George, at uh, King, I said, get him off of me, what are you doing, you know, st- you know, there's something, anyway, just stop it. And when we went to, the, when they went to that box and one, I asked Rick, I said, what is the deal with him? He's, I don't know, he's just really competitive. So I don't remember the exact, but anyway, it was nothing, nothing earth shattering or revealing. But so later on, uh, they're shooting a free throw. I am on the outside position, and I said uh, to whoever it was across from me, cut the shooter. And I so wh- whoever had, the, whoever the biggest guy was in the middle, their guy, uh, like in this case, Bavis maybe or Reasoner. They had a guy, Bavis and Reasoner. They're both about seven foot. So Bavis or Reasoner was was cutting. We're, we're going to cut the shoot, The guy that would step in front of the shooter. That means cut the shooter. And then on the on the guy, with the double team. We would both box out the biggest guy. So we box out the biggest guy. And Blaylock. I guess it was Blaylock because Blaylock hits Bill Monk in the throat with an elbow, and malk just he couldn't he couldn't. Um, like he, he almost lost his breath, or he did lose his breath. So as we're running back up the court, Mock grabs the back of Blaylock's jersey. Bill Mock was our forward. He was from Anderson High School. And he was about 6'5", 210. So he grabs the back of Blaylock's jersey and says something to him. Blaylock just turns, just short. We're going towards the uh, north end of the court, so just short of the 10-second line across from... Uh, from where the media sits and and scores it, just on the other side of the 10 second circle Mock grabs his jersey just between the top of the circle and the the jump circle he grabs it back and he just said something to him, uh, Blaylock turns and hits hits Bill Mock in the the face and breaks his nose and I'm about three steps to the right and I look at Blaylock or or Bill Mock and his nose is bent sideways and blood's gushing everywhere so I take two steps and hit Blaylock in the side of the in, in the face and knocks him out, and he falls, and as he falls, he's unconscious, and Mark kicks him, and then the bench is empty <laughs> as, it, as it turns out, Blaylock broke his leg when he fell, and uh, so they kicked uh Mark, me, and Blaylock out of the game, and then we ended up by winning by seventeen Wow. And and then Butler didn't play Purdue for, like, I don't know, seven or eight years because of that.
0: (laughs) Did did Coach Hinkle have a doghouse? Were you ever in it, and how did you get out?
1: (laughs) Doghouse. I don't know that I was ever in it or out of it. Uh, You know, I had a great relationship with him. He liked me and he allowed me a lot of latitude, more latitude than he should have. I argued with him, I talked back to him, not talked back to him, I was very respectful of him. But I was headstrong and wanted to do things a certain way and wanted to run certain plays. And, you know, he, uh, but he had a good sense of humor. He'd uh, uh, tell you a story, a couple of stories if you got time. Oh yeah. you want me to tell you a couple of stories about Oh yes, please, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. He. Uh, You know, if you're a freshman or if you're a sophomore, you got two tickets for your folks. If you wanted more tickets, you know, like for relatives of this, that, and the other, there wasn't a max. I mean, he wouldn't give you 10 or anything like that. But if you wanted two more, he made you shoot free throws for him. Well, I was a pretty good free thrower, so anytime I wanted extra tickets, that was pretty easy. So I said to him, I had never seen him ever shoot a basketball, ever. He never did. Bob Dietz. The assistant coach would play horse with us. He used to play, you know, he played at Butler and played uh, pro ball, played for the Olympians. And uh, uh, was a hell- he was an All-American, and, you know, he's a pro, he could sh- and he could shoot. And uh, so, you know, most guys can still shoot. They just can't run or whatever as you get over. Uh, but uh, nobody had ever seen Hinkle ever. Maybe he'd dribble a once in a while or maybe pass it, but never, ever took a shot. I just, so I needed four tickets or something or other, and he told me. I said, Coach, I'll tell you what I'll do. You shoot one from the corner, double or nothing. I wanted two. I wanted. I said, Give me four. So he I threw him the ball. He was standing. He shot it with both hands and made it. <laughs> and everybody just went hysterical. It was the funniest thing, and he was laughing. Oh, and another time we were up. Uh, uh, he used to smoke cigarettes and. and Nobody. well, you probably nobody has been down in the locker room. So by the, uh, we used to go down the ramp, and the, the the our locker room was below the north end of the uh, uh, basketball court, the basketball goal. So there was a cage, the equipment cage. Charlie McElfish was the, was the equipment manager, and 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 so we called him the old man. The old man was in there, and Charlie smoked uh, also, but Charlie used a uh, the equipment manager used a uh, filter which was about a two-inch long, and he put the cigarette in there. So when he didn't have a cigarette in there, he would be chewing on that that filter. So Charlie was just a great guy. He was funny. He was a little Irishman, Charlie McElfish. So a couple of points, a couple of stories with him and and Coach, the old man. So we had a a cooler there with 7-Up in it. So as you're walking down from the ramp and you walk by the uh, Charlie or uh, 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 Morris, uh, the trainers the training room was on the right and then the next thing on the left there was some locker and then there was the equipment room and it was a cage and it was a ca- you could see through it and then there was a mirror up the top you could look at that up, up, and it would see down and you could see the, see if anybody else was in there and the old man and would sit back there and smoke a cigarette so I walked by and said hey Charlie how you doing and he said good good so I winked at him and I went over to the uh, cooler and I said Charlie when are we ever going to get coke I'm so tired of this Seven Ups. <laughs> I said it for the old man's benefit. So out of the from he goes, kid. If it wasn't for Seven Up, you'd be back in Noblesville shoveling snow. <laughs> and that's so that to make that makes sense is I had a, a my scholarship was called a grant and aid, which I don't even know if they have those anymore. So they gave it to me a full ride paid all my books and gave me money, like $15 spending money and my laundry and so on and so forth and tuition and room and board and travel expenses back and forth because my family didn't couldn't afford it. So it was grant and aid. And my grant and aid was funded by 7up so that's why I would be back shoveling snow.
0: What kind of... Again, what the,
1: go ahead. i gonna tell you another one. We had a what was called a jackass trophy and that was for the guy... <laughs> The guy that had the most—you know—dog eyes. The guy that had the most errors, and that's and what what he called turnovers. And I, I'll, Billy, I'll, I, you know, I would like for you—you're you're a historian, and maybe you can find this out. Nobody was using the term turnover when I was in college, except for Hinkle. Everybody called it turnover for years. Everybody called it errors. How many errors you made? And now it's the the, the lexicon is is uh, turnovers. But the old man called them turnovers. You're turning it over. You, turn, you know, you turn it over. I mean, I thought it was so antiquated, you know, but it was so graphic. So anyway, whoever had the most turnovers, errors, the jackass trophy was a was a was a, was a jackass, a a, a a donkey on a stand, and you put it on top of your locker, and you it stayed there until the next game or until you lost it to somebody else. So I don't know who we were playing. So after the game, everybody's in real. Uh, happy mood down there with stat sheets was out. So Charlie comes in and says uh, hands his stat sheet to, uh, to Dietz and Hinkle and so coach the old man says well kid looks like that you uh, you get the move, you're rid of the giant, the, tro- the jackass trophy. Why don't you move it over to, you know, Say I don't remember who it was, Larry Shade's locker. So I'm laughing, everybody's laughing, hey great. So I went over to grab got on, reached on top of my locker to move it Charlie had bolted it to my locker, <laughs> so they they had a lot of fun with that.
0: So when did they finally take it off?
1: <laughs> the next day, he moved it. But it was, it was just we always well we were, you know I was always a kid to coach. You know we just you know I that was my sense of humor and I'd like to kid people and and so and they and Charlie and Dick Morris uh, uh, what the hell. Was Jim Morris. Jim Morris was a trainer. Uh, Jim Morris. Yeah. Uh, and so we all had a pretty good time, and we had a good bunch of guys. Everybody liked each other. Gary,
0: what, what was the what was the actual Hinkle floor? Did that uh, uh, increase your game, or what was it like playing well, on the Hinkle floor?
1: You know what? There's anybody that you, that that is the same floor that was built, and it's built on uh, what would you call it? Studs, like two before two by six or whatever they would be, it's not mounted against the concrete or the floor. They used to have what was rivaled the Drake relays were the Butler relays. The Butler relays were huge. That floor would come up, and they would have indoor track meets in there, and Anybody has been to the field house, you know, the upper deck, the, the the walk around, that was an indoor track. I don't know how, how what distance, it, but it measured a certain distance. And they would run races in, inside there and on that the, the walk around ramp around the top. And the interior would have high jump, javelin, discus, shot put, hurdles. Uh, and so the floor is built on dirt, not the floor, but the mountings of the studs. And the floor is like a trampoline. It's the best floor I mean, literally, you could just fly off that floor. I could jump higher off that floor than anything I've ever played. The worst one was Indiana Central's floor. God, when I was uh, in rookie camp with the Pacers, that's where we played uh, practice at Indiana Central. It was awful because it's built flat on concrete. So that promotes getting, there's no no, no give to it. Most of the field houses, like uh, Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, the old IU field house where they used to have the Hoosier relays uh, before they moved into where they are now, uh, were built the same way. They had what they would call portable floors, so they weren't mounted or built on top of concrete. And uh, they were they were really great uh, to play on.
0: Gary, what was a place that you really weren't fond of going and playing because of either the fans or, or the, the, the field house or just some kind of just not – no fondness.
1: Notre Dame, that old field house. We went to – we were playing Notre Dame on a Saturday afternoon, and we left Indianapolis by bus like at 9 o'clock. So it was going to be maybe – we were going to get there. It was a one thirty game, and so whatever time it was, it gave us three, three-and-a-half hours. We were going to get there about an hour and a half before the game, give us time to rest up. So uh, it snowed and snowed. I remember the bus driver, we were trying to go uh, somewhere around Lebanon. The bus driver got out and came back. And he said the snow was knee-high to a tall Indian. <laughs> so anyway, we don't get to Notre Dame until after the game is to start, or right at game time. So Johnny, what was his name, Johnny Lee, Johnny, Johnny, uh, Anyway, they had a hell of a team. They had Walt Somm, who was about seven foot in the middle. Ronnie Reed, who played pro basketball and pro baseball, was one forward. Jay Miller, that played uh, for the Pacers and played for Milwaukee, was the other forward. They had Bucky McCann and uh, Sheffield uh, at the guards. And they were in the top ten in the country. So... Johnny Key, Johnny Lee. Anyway, I can't remember his name. Anyway, the coach, I remember we were standing, He's asked uh, the coach if uh, we wanted to postpone it to the next day. Now, get this. this The field house is empty. There's one person in that field house. The coach says, now nah, give, give us a half hour. When we're ready to go. So, <laughs> I, Well, maybe give us an hour, whatever it was. It was a certain amount of time. It wasn't very long. So we got unpacked, got dressed, and when we came out, the field house is full. Now, the field house, the basketball floor is above, is elevated. And so like, there are people in the first row all the way around, or or, on three sides, are like the benches are below, you like, if you're sitting at the bench, on the bench, your eyes are at floor level. And so at each end, there were students that were in the same position. And there was no screen, there was no roping, there was nothing there. And when you're shooting layups, it's okay, but now you're shooting around and your ball, the ball would kind of roll towards the, to where the kids were sitting. You didn't go over there. You waited for them to throw the ball to you, or they throw it to you to throw it to your feet. You didn't walk over there because they'd grab your water, spit on you. I mean, it was awful. Yeah, so
0: Notre-, it-
1: Notre Dame was tough.
0: Gary, did you uh, at the end of your sophomore year were, were you did, were you confident that you made the right decision to go to Butler and what kind of squad did you think you were going to have when you came back your junior year?
1: Well, uh, uh, Ed Schilling had transferred to Butler, and he had been one of the top players in the country. He was a top recruit out of Cleveland. Uh, he went to Cincinnati, got kicked out of school. And you know, some kind of mooning incident that uh, some other kids in the car did. Anyway, they ended up kicking him out of school. He transferred to Butler, and he and I became fast friends because he was good. But he was six five, but he could play. I mean, it wasn't, I guarantee there wasn't a better center we played anywhere, and he could play with anybody. But we still needed a big man. We could do, and we we just didn't have any size. You know, Ed and I were it. We were we were the tallest guys on the team ever. All the rest of the time I was there, we never had anybody maybe a half, maybe 6'5", six, 6'5", five, six, five and a half, but we didn't have any. We didn't have a 6'8 guy. Uh, we, we needed a big guy because, you know, look, there wasn't anybody. I think we shot 56% as a team from the field one year. I might be a little off of that, but there was, we were in the top in the country. We were in a uh, field goal percentage. If a team went to a zone on us, it was like hysterical. We couldn't wait. I mean, we'd bust that zone in a minute. I mean, there would not anybody play zone against us. I mean, there's some people that did, but like Purdue did. I mean, it was like they went to a zone and they were behind. They went to a zone. I mean, it's unbelievable. But anyway,
0: so were you guys? Were you guys? Did you guys have a lot of talent coming in your junior and senior year?
1: No, no, not a lot of talent. We didn't get much. Uh, we had, uh, we had, Bill Brown and Ron, and Ron Salatich from uh, from uh, Broad Ripple. They were good. Uh, but we didn't have any really. We had a guy uh, uh, Carver Wright that went to uh, uh, what, the same high school that uh, uh, Washington Carver Washington went to. Carver Wright went to uh, Washington. Uh, wherever Cassie Russell went to high school uh, in Chicago, Carver Wright was really good, and Muffin's brother Biscuit Williams was very good. Uh, two black guys but we lost them and I don't know why they were in school for a while and then they dropped out they were they could have really helped us but they weren't they weren't big but they were very, very good good ball players
0: Gary what was your what was what was the game that you remember the most that like the the, the bucket was like the ocean and everything you were tossing up you were hitting. Uh, let's
1: see probably at Ohio State when I was a sophomore I think I got twenty six, fifteen, and I led the team in assists almost every year. Uh, I don't, you know, that probably we got beat by a point. Coach took me out and put Tom Jones in, who was uh, from Speedway. He was a small guy, put him in for ball handling, and he turned the ball over twice, and we ended up getting beat by one point. I was so hot about that, but uh, I had a game against Ball State. I had twenty seven at halftime. But uh, I, never, I, never really, I never really reached my potential. I just, uh, you know, Coach uh, asked me to sacrifice my game and make everybody else better. And, uh, he said, well, you know, you can end up getting 20, 25 a game, but you're not going to, we're not, we're not going to win very many games. So it was, uh, in some aspects, from an athletic point of view, uh, it wasn't the greatest. But on the other hand, it was a great experience and met a lot of great people. And you know, uh, it's uh, it is what it is.
0: What was the what was the player that had the most hype that you went up against that you really kind of uh, took him out of his game and you really he really didn't deserve the hype?
1: The guy that has the most
0: hype. Yeah,
1: I don't think I. Uh, you know, we played against a guy at Utah State. Wayne, he ended up getting killed right after he. He was, if he wasn't leading the country, he was. Uh, my point is, everybody we played was that had, had hype was good. I remember uh, this guy I'm talking about. When I was a sophomore, uh, he was six five, fat, dumpy guy. And he was, I remember when we came out on the floor and, you know, all the thing we knew, we didn't have any scouting. The scouting report was the guy's number and how many points he got a game. And if somebody, you know, no no games were on TV. Uh, so, uh, and this guy was leading the country or second in the country, 30-some points a game. And he was a forward, center, and so the coach put me on him. And so he would say, Hank would say, all right, kid, you're going to be watching him, meaning you're going to be guarding him. And uh, God, what? Anyway, how he got killed is like two weeks after we played him. He was driving, and he came upon a car accident, and the car had hit a had had hit an electric pole. And Wayne Estes, I think his name's Estes. Anyway, uh, he got out of his car and was walking over to the accident, and one of the power lines was hanging about six feet off the ground, six five off the ground, and hit him in the forehead and electrocuted him and killed him. Wow. But anyway, but you can look that up. If somebody can, but I, I think his name was Estes. Anyway, he was, uh, so I'm guarding him. I'm watching. Him. So, <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's 46 to 42, and Hank did not like that at all. That's way too many points. And the reason why you, I mean, it wasn't that we were great on, defense is usually limited the number of possessions ahead because we'd run our offense. You did not come down and take an open 20-footer. Because you can always get an open 20-footer. So you don't take the first shot you've got. You got to run the offense and make sure everybody touches the ball. Everybody gets inverted meaning the center becomes a forward and the forward becomes a guard and the guard becomes and you take advantage of missing, mismatches. That's why you know I was a guard that 6-5 well, there was only one two guys that played guard. That was bigger than me all year. Sloan at six seven, and and Kazzy at six six and a half. So everybody else were like Mount, six four, and I could and, and so if I had a guy that was bigger than me, like uh, Blaylock was six seven, I I could post him and beat him because I was quicker than him. And then uh, with a smaller guy, with a guy my own size or smaller, I could post him and back him down. So that's why our offense was our philosophy was limit possessions and make them play our game. We got in a running game. We didn't have near the athletes that so a lot of these teams did. So we're at halftime at Utah State, and it's 46-42-40. You know, it's close. We ended up losing 88-84. So my guy, Estes, has got 26 at halftime. So the old man says to me, Kid, I thought you were watching this guy. I says, Coach, I am watching him, and he's a hell of a player. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Here's this fat kid. He's t- He's absolutely
0: used me for 26 i mean it was unbelievable gary when you were coming to the end of your career at butler university what was your thought process on what you were going to do in the future i really thought that
1: i would make the pacers and uh, i mike storin gave me a free agent contract didn't get drafted gave me a free agent contract told me some things to work on, and uh, I had played with those guys the year before. It was the first year, so I knew most of those guys on the team. Roger Brown and I became very, very good friends. Bob Nettlake is was, was and still is one of my best friends. Jimmy Rails is one of my best friends. So I played in the summer with those guys and Ron Bonham, and we, we played two-on-two, one-on-one, three-on-three, and uh, Freddie Lewis, who uh, he was the captain of the team, I could beat him one on one. He couldn't guard me and you know, it was just I mean, I felt I could. Well I was it was during Vietnam and I had to um, I was in the Army Reserves and uh October twenty first I had to go to boot camp and so that kind of rubbed it out and I had to go to uh, went to Fort California and played uh, after I went to the basic training I played uh, uh, I played the uh, 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 Fort Ord team, and then I was on the, the brigade team, and I was on the all army team, and then uh, that all army team was was uh, Bob Verga from Utah or from uh, Duke, uh, C. G. Winston from Virginia, Kenny Washington from UCLA. We we were 77 and 0, wow. and won won the U. S. Amateur Championship, and then I they went on and won the World Amateur and went to Europe. And on the all-army team, you know, I then elected not to do it. and They wanted me to sign up, and I was in the reserve. And I could sign up and play on the all-army team and be based in Hawaii. But Hal Fisher was the coach, and Hal Fisher had a short temper. If he got mad at you, for some reason, a way of punishing you which kick you off the team, and you were back in the army. And guess where that was? Vietnam. So I wasn't about to roll the dice of taking a chance of, you know, things not working out or whatever. anyway. So then Bobby, uh, uh, Larry Stabrin was the coach when I was the first two years, and then he got fired and Slick came on board and I got to know Slick pretty well. And I was practicing with the team, you know, waiting for the next rookie or the next camp to start. And uh, Slick told me, he says, Gary, he says, the best you could do is make the team. He says I'm not saying you can't make the team. You should, maybe you can. He says you're making a lot more money selling insurance. And he says, it ain't the life. Why would you want to do it? I said, well, pride. He said, screw pride. He says, you're making a lot more. He says, the most money is, is we're going to end, end Mike's store. He says, we'll sign you. Well, I had a $10,000 contract. If I made the team, I got a $10,000 bonus. So it was hard to swallow, but I, okay, good back. I was making about $60,000 a year selling insurance.
0: So when did you get, when did you finally say, you know what? I guess no more basketball and I'm going to focus on the dude.
1: Well, then after, you know, I was at King's, uh, Kings up there on Nora there was a Kings something Kings Court restaurant but I can't remember the guy anyway that's where we all used to hang out and I remember the night that, that Slick told me that and uh, I don't know just uh, you know you always think you, everybody thinks they can play you know they watch guys play and you know there is there isn't much separation from guys there's big there's separation from the from the Kobe's and the Magic's and, 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 and Jordan's but you know, there's guys walking the street. Look, in the old ABA days, there was guys. There was a guy that played for Pittsburgh called Helicopter Hines. He was about 6'5", and I'm talking about could jump out of the gym. This guy, people, everybody came to watch him warm up. He could jump out of the gym. There was guys walking the streets that were better. They were playing at the Dust Bowl, playing up in New York in the outdoors. that were better than the guys playing. But, uh, you know, it's just an opportunity. You've got to have the right opportunity. You know, like Jeremy Lynn. Here's Lynn sitting on the end of the bench and been waved, kicked out, and he got a chance. There's a lot of guys. That need, it's confidence. You've got to have confidence at any level. You know, you see guys that miss free throws. It's confidence. They, they, well, it's technique and confidence. But, you know, a lot of guys, they don't understand the concept of the game. You know, the, the college game or the pro game is ruined because there's no feeder system teaching these kids to uh, fundamentals. You know, th- nobody knows how to run a break anymore. They run a break all the way to the hoop, and you know that is, unless you've got a, a, a snowbird or a layup, you 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 know you've got to set other people up. And guys don't make other people better anymore. Very few. Kobe doesn't make anybody better. Uh, Magic Magic was a was perfect. Oscar Robinson was perfect. Those guys made every uh, 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 the kid from uh, for the Lakers now the guard that's always hurt uh, from Canada.
0: Oh, Steve Nash.
1: He's a perfect example. He makes people better. And that was kind of what Haeckel said to me. Kid, you got to make everybody else better because if you just go out there and bound the ball and get 25 a game, we're not going to win anything. And that was, you know, I didn't understand it then, but he's right. You know, San Antonio proved the theory of basketball, what how beautiful basketball is by this last NBA Finals. They showed what basketball was about. That's basketball. It's team basketball. It's team defense. And, and you know, the guy doing Charles Barkley, Pounding it and backing it down. That's just, I mean, you got four guys watching it, and you're never going to win. That's why he never won. That's why Iverson never won. And Kobe's not going to win. You can't, guys going one on one, maybe in the last 30 seconds, okay, 24 seconds to get one shot, all right, let him pound it and back it down, and everybody clear out. But you can't, you got to get to that point, and getting to that point, you got to make people better. And that's what Sloan did. Those guys, look at, Oscar Robinson is by far, and Bill Russell, the two best players in, in, in Magic, the three best players. If you started the team, that's where you'd want to start, those three guys. Because they were team guys. You know, Russell blocked a shot. He didn't block it out of bounds. He blocked it out in the air where he can get it. Somebody else can get it. Right. They ran a break. They, don't, they run the break. They, the guy should stop at the free throw line or at the dotted line and let the lanes fill or run the, or run the break from the wing. You know, they just, I mean, and, and then the, what they call a UCLA offense uh, where the, the center guy running the center lane on a fast break to run the ball up on the wing. The guy at the center stops at the top of the key or at the free throw line, and the, and the, the guys fill the lane, the followers, trailers, they run off of him meaning that's the pick and he's going to be wide open. They just don't do that anymore simply because kids don't stay in college and they're because of the best athletes. They don't have what's, what's Kobe. If the next time he screens off will be the first time they don't screen off. They don't screen off. They don't screen their man off. Uh, you know, they, they allow second shots, uh, you know, long rebound. I mean, it's just uh, everybody's looking for the three. I hate the three. Three is ruining the game.
0: Gary, so did you stay in the insurance business? And, uh, and if not, what did you go on to and what
1: do you do today? I, I stayed in the insurance business. I sold it to John Hancock in 1981. Uh, I had a full uh, uh, benefits program that we had. We did uh, we money brokerage uh, uh, and uh, we did uh, we financing for buildings. Uh, And I sold that professional economic services, sold it to John Hancock, stayed on a consulting agreement with them for three years. Then I went in the oil lubricant business, and with some people in Texas, we drilled some oils and sold lubricants. And I'm in the venture capital uh, uh, business now, venture capital private equity. Uh, We uh, we own uh, uh, franchise restaurants and uh, uh, call centers. And then we also have uh, about 1,100 some odd uh, cellular stores around AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile stores around the country. I have uh, partners in different deals that I'm in, and we also do travel, uh, commercial travel uh, for businesses and uh, for meetings, conventions, and incentive travel around the uh, around the world with partners.
0: Well, Gary, I, uh, if the hour goes by quick. I'll tell you that. I thank you so much for sharing uh, and uh, helping us keep the nostalgia alive. It's been amazing.
1: Well, thanks. It was my pleasure. I enjoy uh, your post on Facebook, and I enjoy your program.
0: Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate you helping us keep the nostalgia alive.
1: All right, thanks. Have a great day. You too. All right, bye bye.